Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, everybody, welcome back to Equip You and Grace. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And with us today is our friend, our sister in Christ, Holly Pivot. Holly, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Dave. It's so great to be back. Thanks for inviting me back on. Yeah, well, thank you for agreeing to come back on. Um, maybe you can just catch us up a little bit on what's been happening. I think it's been a few months here. What's, what's been happening mm-hmm. in your life, marriage, ministry, and what are you working on ministry project-wise? Yeah, so um, I well, I'm continuing, uh, you know, supporting my husband in his role as pastor, and I um, homeschooling my children. So that's that's I teach a homeschooling class actually for ninth graders. Um, so that that's a big part of my life. Um, Doug Guyvet, my co-author, and I we just um, uh, launched our fourth book on the new Apostolic Reformation movement, or, or NAR for short um reckless christianity which we'll be talking about today um and so that that has been taking up a lot of time launching the book and and doing interviews which is great and um and then also i'm hoping to start my own podcast uh in the days ahead so that's something that's that's been fun that i'm just starting to work on as well well that's great that's that's great i'm I'm excited about your podcast and look forward to uh, no doubt listening to it and uh, benefiting from it. So can you, you know, you were just talking about this book, guys, the book is called Reckless Christianity, the Destructive New Teachings and Practices of Bill Johnson, Bethel Church, and the Global Movement of Apostles and Prophets. If you're watching the video, as I usually try to do when I remember, uh, here is the book to to check it out. Um, it is a good size, good size book. Um Holly, tell us a little bit about this book, you know, why you wrote it and how you hope yeah. it'll be received. Maybe even you maybe want to compare it with with the others you've written a little bit. I know you do that in the book a little bit. So, right. So, so our, I'll start with our first book because there are four and people get confused about, um, um, you know, the differences. This was our first book. It came out about 2011. And this is um, this uh, new apostolic reformation question mark, a biblical response to a worldwide movement. This book is an overview of the theology of the NAR movement It in it's um, the movement more broadly. And it shows how it's a global movement, um, the scope of the movement, but also goes deep into the teachings and, and um, really analyzes the teachings of C. Peter Wagner the apostle who came up with the name New Apostolic Reformation and formulated a lot of the teachings. And, um, and um, so that, that was an overview of NAR and, and is um, more academic. So we also did this second book at the same time called God Super Apostles Encountering the Worldwide Prophets and Apostles Movement. And this book basically condensed, was a condensed version of that, that larger, more academic work an overview of NAR, but we did add um, some stories of people whose lives have been harmed by NAR and some advice for people who've, who've got caught, caught and not caught, you know, up in NAR or have loved ones caught up in NAR and that kind of thing. Um, but then, so, and then Counterfeit Kingdom came out a year ago and this is um, the dangers of new revelation, new prophets, new age practices in the church. 
And this is a, a more, this is intended for a broader audience. Um, and it's, it's an overview of NAR and focuses a lot on Bethel Church in Reading, but more intended for a general broad audience. Um, and then um, the latest book that you just shared, Reckless Christianity, The Destructive New Teachings and Practices of Bill Johnson, Bethel Church, and the Global Movement of Apostles and Prophets. This book takes a deep dive into the theology of Bethel Church in Redding, California, because it is the most influential NAR church today in the world. And so whereas Counterfeit Kingdom, our previous book really focused on the practices of the NAR movement, like where where the rubber really meets the road as far as where NAR is entering in churches and ministries and music, Reckless Christianity um, go, focuses more on the theology of Bethel Church. And it really takes a deep dive. It's a it's a more rigorous book. And so it's for those who want to go deeper after reading uh, Counterfeit Kingdom into understanding the theology of Bethel Church and, and the Bethel leaders. And um, it also shows Reckless Christianity shows beyond a doubt that that Bethel Church is NAR. Um, so it in it, it shows that those leaders who support Bethel Church really have no excuse. I think that's a significant statement that you just made, that it is beyond a question, NAR. I think that, you know, we know what they try to do with, you know, Bethel, is it revisited or something like that, um, you know, where they respond to their critics from American gospel and, and other things. So I think that statement is, is, may, is really important that you made because, you know, they, they do, they want to seemingly um you know charitably speaking they want to help people but um they do dismiss uh i think it's fair to say their their critics uh mischaracterize mischaracterize them i should say and I, and i think that the book that you have put forward here it does show that they are part of the new apostolic reformation you know they're they're the they're the head of it like you said and so maybe you could just flesh that out just maybe a little bit more about, you know, why why is that so important, you know, for the for the average person even who doesn't even know, I mean, not on this podcast, we've talked about it so many times, but there's still people that don't know like what what is so big about Bethel, you know, its influence and um its damaging consequences, the damaging way in which it's hurting the body of Christ. Right. So, so Bethel Church in Redding, California has about 12,000 people who attend this church. But beyond just being this local church in Redding, um, it has global influence and um, it does, um, it's popularized and mainstreams um, NAR teachings and practices throughout the world. And these are harmful, um, unbiblical teachings and practices that have brought a lot of damage and destruction to people's lives, to churches, to families. Uh, Doug and I receive emails regularly, as, as I'm sure you do, from people sharing the ways that this uh, people's uh, have been harmed by this movement. Um, you know, it's uh, churches splitting all the time when these divisive teachings come in. Families will have adult children that go off to attend Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry a three-year program where college-age students will go enroll to learn to become miracle workers. And they'll go off there or, or they'll go off to um, another NAR institution or church and then cut off their parents completely and their extended family and not talk to them again. There's marriages that are dividing over, over these teachings when one spouse follows the apostles and prophets and the other one doesn't recognize their authority. Um, 
you know, there's disillusionment that is occurring because um, the apostles and prophets will promise people that a sick loved one, a dying loved one will be healed and won't die. And then when that person sadly passes, you know, the people that were believing the apostles and prophets that that, that when it happened, uh, they they start questioning their faith and questioning the Bible and, and may stop attending church or even sadly walk away from their faith completely. Um, you know, this, uh, the, these Bethel, it's damaging the church's witness to the watching world because they're promoting these bizarre and unbiblical practices like grave soaking and, and claiming that they're going to raise, you know, this little two-year-old girl from the dead. And then they, you know, they don't. And, um, or wake they're you know saying that they're going around to churches and waking up angels and and all of these bizarre practices and the outside world doesn't know that the bible doesn't support these things that this is not what all christians believe and so that makes it harder to share the gospel going forward you know and speaking of the gospel uh bethel and our teachings distort the gospel you know they conflate the gospel uh with signs and wonders and miracles and the idea that uh, we're supposed to bring heaven to earth, which is their redefinition of the Great Commission. And and so, um, you know, this plays into this Christian nationalist sentiment, you know, and, and that's a different topic. But it's um, really hurting. These teachings are hurting the church's witness and uh, to the watching world. And so there's a lot of destruction, a lot of damage. They distort scripture, which I think we'll be talking about later, later today. Um, you know, by claiming only apostles and prophets are the ones that really can have the enlightened understanding of scripture. Um, and, and, and some people may not know, maybe most of your followers know that NARA even has their own, um, speaking of distorted scripture, they even have their own Bible now, NAR translation, translation of the Bible called the Passion Translation that was produced by a NARA, NARA apostle named Brian Simmons, who claims Jesus Christ personally appeared to him and commissioned him to produce this new translation of the Bible, but it's not a translation at all. It's not even a reliable paraphrase because he takes the NAR teachings about declarations and about the seven mountain mandate and impartation and all these NAR teachings and in, puts them into the, the his translation to make it sound like the Bible supports these teachings and it's become a very popular translation. So, so there's a lot of dangers and harm uh, that's um, that is a, Bethel has been um, causing because through promoting NAR teachings and practices. And yet Bethel leaders will, will try to distance themselves from the new apostolic reformation. You know, they'll say, well, we don't really know what the new apostolic reformation is. We're not really a part of that. Um, but the truth is they promote the core NAR teaching, which is that apostles and prophets are supposed to govern the church. All others, including pastors and elders must submit to them so that they can bring critical new revelation they think that the church needs. So, you know, every Christian can learn to develop miraculous powers, work greater miracles than Jesus works, or so they say, and rise up and become this miracle working army and bring God's kingdom to earth. And and so they promote these core NAR teachings and, and a lot, the distinctive NAR practices. So they are NAR, whether they want to admit that or not. And that's, uh, that's something that we uh, show in our book. Yeah. That's a really good answer. And you were just touching on the passion translation and 
you know, we have definitely talked about that. I know you have as well. And it's it's interesting to contrast, you know, something like the English Standard Version of the Bible, the ESV, with the Passion Translation. And, and the overwhelming evidence is the ESV or the NASB is overwhelmingly superior to uh, the Passion Translation because, you know, you have the, uh, the people with the best degrees, the best training, you know, which is what you want in addition to the best training theologically and the languages and everything. And they're, you know, they even have experienced pastors, you know, uh, taking a look at what's being, you know, in the ESV and other translations. Whereas you have one guy, no committee, and then all the guys that endorse it, as we know, are all questionable. They all teach every single one of those uh, people that uh, uh, you know che che Cheon and and many others, uh, Bill Johnson. Um, I, I can't think of all the names off the top of my head, but every single one on there on that Passion Translation website, every single one of them has issues theologically, and not just like you know they're there have some questionable like views on baptism or something like that we're, we're talking about questionable views about the gospel about the bible about a, a a gospel doctrine about how god saves people yeah so it's not being nitpicky or anything like that to, to point that out it's if it's not if it's not a if they're not preaching the right gospel paul says that you know we should confront that and and call that out and expose it and so um, I, I think that I think what you said there is just so important. Um, so let's go here. What what most concerns you about the the way that Bethel interprets the Word of God? Yeah, well, so so there are a few things. Um, one of the main things is um, so so for background that which we explain in Reckless Christianity, Bethel leaders teach, and our leaders in general teach that the church law that the early church had these truths that were lost through the centuries. And they would, they say that modern apostles and prophets are restoring those lost truths. So, so these truths would include things like that apostles are supposed to govern, hold the highest office in the church, not pastors. Or they would say the idea that God's goodness requires that it's always his will to heal a sick person. There are no exceptions or, the, the billion soul harvest, that's another lost truth. The idea that there's going to be this great end time revival led by apostles and prophets working amazing signs and wonders that will bring God's kingdom to earth. These are examples of lost truths that they claim that apostles and prophets are restoring to the church. But the thing is, the way those truths are restored, they would say, is through a process that they call prophetic illumination. And so they would say that the apostles and prophets in this, in this NAR movement are receiving prophetic illumination into passages of scripture. So, so they'll look at a scripture and it's like God frees on the pages or, you know, blows on the pages or something. And they'll get an understanding that nobody's ever had before in the history of the church as a new way to understand that passage. And um, so on one side of their mouth, they're saying out of one side of their mouth, they're saying, yeah, we believe the word of God, the Bible is the highest authority and that we should test all things by scripture. But then on the out of the other side of their mouth, they're, they're, they're giving new enlightened understandings of scripture that no one's ever had before. And, and not, they're not relying on proper rules of biblical interpretation of reading scripture in context and, and these kind of things. Um, so that everybody could come to the passage and read the passage and see, see the same meaning. No, instead people need to look to their apostles and prophets to, to give them these new hidden meanings of, 
of scripture. And so, um, so even though they would say that scripture is their highest authority, really it's the, uh, words of these apostles and prophets that are put on a par or even elevated above scripture, because the truth is, um, a reason people will attend our churches like Bethel church is because they feel like, uh, they need to hear what the latest revelations are the latest new understandings of scripture are and um and so what happens is people will neglect reading their bibles using proper rules of interpretation and studying it for themselves and looking at commentaries to see what scholars have said and this kind of thing they'll neglect that and instead just rely on the apostles and prophets to give their latest you know newfangled um interpretations and, and revelations yeah it's uh it's some people think you know when when you and I or others say something like that, that that is just utter nonsense. And, but like, like you and I know, and so many others who have spoken out against this, I mean, the stories, I mean, and, and just, I can think of one friend right now that left that movement and she's, this particular person is in a sound uh, Bible believing, you know, gospel preaching church, where you know the word of god is prized and treasured and exposited like you mentioned um uh you know i'm a, a proponent of expository preaching verse by verse through books of the bible so she's in that type of church and um you know but but this is just just one story and but but she was in a church where the passion translation was taught and it's it's just tragic because she felt that when she come out of that, it was like this this fire hose was being poured on her at, at this new church, you know, because she wasn't getting any of the Bible at all where she was at. Mm -hmm. Same town, just different church, you know, maybe across the town. Um, and that that story could be multiplied all over the world mm -hmm. and and a thousand a thousand times or tens of thousands of times. And it's it's tragic that that there's this movement that says, hey, here's these ideas and we're going to redo everything, which that's not a new idea, we know. Um, and the dismissal, I think the biggest thing for me is that just the, the dismissal of church history and the novel, the no need for novelness, that is what keeps me engaged more than anything. Because, I mean, whether whether you're, Wherever you are on the theological spectrum, we should all be working to help people get in the Bible and grow in their understanding of theology and especially of what the church has taught. And uh, that that is absolutely critical um, because we don't have we don't need to make up anything new. And as, as uh, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes three, there's nothing new under the sun. So whatever whatever perspective you persuasion, you know, if you're reformed or whatever. Um, that doesn't matter. This is this is above and beyond. And it, and I think one thing to touch on, Holly, especially on this point, is you aren't critiquing like the charismatic, or you're not even entering in that discussion. We're we're well beyond that that whole whether the gifts are for today or not discussion. We're 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 moving well past that. Um, I think that's something um, that a lot of people, when they hear this type of discussion, I think that they. They hone in on that. Well, this is about whether the gifts are real to not. No, it's about the abuse of whether I think we could say the abuse of whether the gifts are for today or not and the extreme nature 
then of that particular view and then its influence, um, you know, and, and what it wants to do, like you were talking about earlier in culture and in the church today. Do you think that's a fair yeah. characterization? Yeah, I'm glad you bring this up because Doug and I in our, all of our books and our interviews, we try to be very clear that we are not critiquing classical Pentecostal or historic charismatic teachings. In fact, many, many Pentecostals and charismatics are very concerned about the NAR movement because its teachings are so extreme and because they're not historic Pentecostal or charismatic teachings. Pentecostals and charismatics, as you know, as you were saying, and other continuationists, believe that the miraculous gifts such as healing, prophecy, speaking in tongues, that these gifts continue today. But that's not that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is the NAR notion that the offices, uh, hierarchical church offices of apostle and prophet um, uh, are for today, that they're supposed to govern the church. Everyone else is supposed to submit to them, including pastors, and that they're bringing this new revelation that the church requires um, in order to bring God's physical kingdom to earth. So these teachings are far beyond uh, anything that historically Pentecostals or Charismatics have taught. Now, unfortunately, um, NAR teachings have made great inroads into Pentecostal and Charismatic churches. Um, they find great, greater receptivity in those churches because those are churches that do talk about miracles and, and things like that. And then also NAR leaders are intentionally um, seeking to infiltrate uh, Pentecostal and Charismatic churches and other churches and, and are successfully infiltrating um, and they do that by, for example, using euphemisms. And so they won't, you know, they, they know that um, Pentecostals and Charismatics might talk about a gift of prophecy. Um, and so, you know, they'll they'll kind of act like, well, that's all we're teaching, you know, but really they're smuggling in their teachings about prophets having this extraordinary authority and everyone's supposed to submit to them and they're directing the lives of individuals and, and even giving prophetic words that are for the global church and things like that, that go far beyond a mere gift of prophecy. Um, or, um, and, and so in the past, you know, NAR leaders might talk about uh, offices, the office of apostle and prophet. Well, we've been told by a very well-known NAR leader in personal conversation with this leader. He said, you know, we recognize that people are nervous about the word office. So we're starting to refer to it as like an apostolic function instead of office. And so they're intentionally playing word games and, and tweaking the language, not changing the underlying teachings. They're still promoting these uh, formal that apostles are governing the church, but they're just changing the terms. And, and so people will not be as afraid, scared off by those terms and the sneaking, the teachings can still sneak in and come in. And, um, and so people need to be very aware of the tactics that are, are used by leaders of this movement to infiltrate um, churches and and um, to draw in unsuspecting Christians. That that what you just said there is so important. I just want to camp on that for just a little for just a few minutes here while we're talking about it because you know we we we, uh, we watch the videos. I watch the videos. You watch the videos. Other people watch the videos of these guys talking. They say you know I'm not part of NAR. You know, not out, outside of Bethel, you know, um, your Singarellis, your Paganis or whatever they say, they, they use the language and they say, oh, you misunderstand me. And, you know, we know that Bethel and and Bill Johnson and um, Chris Lawton and all those guys, they all say the same things. They say the things like you know, that might sound good and on her face, like 
we'll say charitably 80%, okay? Maybe, okay, sometimes, you know? But then it's the rest of that, like you were talking about earlier, where you're like, what do you, what do you, what do you mean? Like, I don't know what you mean. Like, you know, you, you totally lost me. So what, 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 why should we pay attention? Not just, you know, we should always be paying attention to the hundred percent of what somebody says, but what is it? What is so concerning about that? Even charitably speaking, that 20% that they might say, and, and how can we help people really to understand, you know, that, that 20% that that person is saying and talking out of both ends of their mouth is, it's really just double speak. How how can we get people to get that? You know what I'm saying? Like, I I feel yeah. like that's that's really the, where the battle lies. And when you're talking about, you know, these, and it is a battle. We're supposed to contend for the word. Um. So so th I think this is one of the areas where I'd be I'd be really interested to hear what what you think we can do especially to help people. I mean, ultimately we can just be faithful to the word. So when we have to trust the spirit, but what can we do, you know, as we talk about those things, um, what, what would you like to see uh, us who are speaking out against it? What would you like, how would you like to see us either be clear or maybe you see us being clear? Where, where can we, you know, do a better job communicating um, these things so that people are really able to, to understand um, that see the, see the, comparison with you know what what sound the bible says versus you know what it doesn't say if that makes sense right so there there is a dire need for christians to grow in discernment um the ability to recognize truth you know and, and separate truth from error and so there are a number of things that people can need to do you know they need to to first of all know scripture really well um, and, and not just, not just know what it says, but know how to read it properly in context, following rules of proper biblical interpretation, because if they do that, then they can recognize when, when leaders, um, even sincere leaders or, or, you know, um, are misusing scripture, even their own pastors who may be generally sound, you know, we all can, uh, misuse scripture at times unintentionally. Um, and so it's important for, people to really learn how to handle the word of God correctly to test all things by scripture, you know, in acts uh, 17, 11, we see that the Bereans were commended um, when the apostle Paul came and brought them new teachings for, for searching the scriptures at that time, those would be the old Testament scriptures they had and searching the scriptures to see if the things he said were, were, you know, found support there. And, and this was even the apostle Paul. So if the apostle Paul, you know, they had to test the apostle Paul by scripture. How much more so should we be testing any so-called apostle or prophet or any teacher today? Right. Um, so knowing scripture is in how to interpret it correctly is really crucial for discernment. Also growing in critical thinking skills. That's, that's often overlooked. Um, learning how to recognize, um, logical fallacies that are being employed, you know, by, by, um, leaders in this movement or any other, um, uh, off key group or cult or group that's not teaching the word correctly. Um, you know, just being able to recognize like, like in NAR, it's common for leaders of this movement rather than engaging arguments that, that critics bring up, they'll resort to, um, things like name calling, you know, ad hominem attacks and, and, um, saying, well, you know, the only reason you're saying that is because you're a cessationist or you're a Calvinist or, you know, um, 
and, uh, which may or may not be true that the person saying that is a cessation of sort of Calvinist. There's many, as I already said, many continuationists, many non-continuationists, you know, Calvinists, non-Calvinists, many people are concerned about NAR. Um, and so, but what happens is leaders in this movement will often just try to dismiss their critics by, you know, throwing out these drama in, um, or saying that, you know, um, well, you just don't believe God can do miracles today. That's why you're saying that, you know, well, that's, that's a straw man, right? Um, every Christian believes that God can do miracles today and does do miracles today. That's not what the debate is here. It's, it's the, um, radical extreme unbiblical teachings about miracles that are being promoted that are the issue here with NAR. And so, so really growing in critical thinking skills, um, and learning to, and just being, um, we're not to be naive, you know, uh, we're supposed to be, uh, as, as gentle as doves, you know, but true to serpents. And we need Christians not need not be naive. They need to realize, you know, Jesus warned many times, uh, or, or throughout scripture, we're warned many times, including warnings by Jesus about false prophets, uh, false teachers, you know, false apostles and needing to be on guard, um, especially in the last days. And, and so, um, it, people need to recognize that, that there, there is false teaching out there and, um, and there are tactics that false teachers and will employ, um, to draw people into their false teaching. And so to, to be, um, not to be naive, but to recognize and be able to spot those tactics when they're being used. Um, these are all important, important steps to growing in discernment. Yeah, that's, that's really good. It just, like we were talking about, just pay attention to what the person is saying. Just, just listen to what they're saying. And, and if what they say, it doesn't make sense, then right there, you know, that God is not an author of confusion from the Bible. You know, yeah, like, and pe yeah. Sorry to interrupt. I say a lot of people have this sense. Um, we've been told so many times. If I had a dollar for every time someone told me, you know, I just had the sense when I was in this church that something wasn't quite right. You know, but they ignored it. Um, and a lot of people out there, a lot of your audience, maybe will even say, yeah, I've just had this sense that that some things have been off at my church, or some that this book I'm reading or teacher is saying. Don't ignore that sense because that could very well be the, your discernment kicking in and you need to pay attention to that. And the truth is that, um, you know, something that's of God, something that's of the Holy spirit has nothing to fear from biblical and, uh, logical scrutiny. You know, um, if it's truly a work of God, it can stand up to biblical and, and critical scrutiny. And so people, you know, and we're actually obeying God when we use our minds, when we seek to be discerning, and we stay on guard against false teachers. And, and so there's nothing, you have nothing to fear from um, evaluating your teaching, your teachers and their teachings and upholding them to the word of God and, and um, seeing, you know, how they, if they find support there. That's really good. You know, why, why should we as biblically minded, biblically rooted Christians, biblically practicing Christians be concerned about Bethel's idea of binding and loosing prayer? Right. So, so Bill Johnson, he's the head apostle of Bethel church. He teaches that the Lord's prayer as taught to, um, you know, the disciples by Jesus, um, that the Lord's prayer isn't that we've been misunderstood generations. All, all the generations of Christians have been uh, misunderstanding this prayer, right? It's this beloved prayer that many of us have memorized, you know, as children, we memorize it, but we've been getting it wrong. 
what he would say is that, you know, we've been understanding this prayer as it's modeling petitionary prayer, approaching God humbly and requesting, you know, our basic needs to be fulfilled by or met by him. But he would say that's all wrong. Really, that the Lord's prayer is really it's a battle plan for how to bring God's kingdom to earth. You know, the words thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Um, he, he says, he says, when we pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We're praying for the King's dominion and will to be realized right here, right now. That's in his book, the supernatural power of a transformed mind. And he would say the type of prayer that's modeled in the Lord's prayer is not petitionary prayer. It's not making requests of God. It's actually what a uh, declaration prayer, the type of prayer that is promoted in NAR as the most powerful type of prayer is they say that asking Making requests of God is an inferior form of prayer. A declaration prayer is a more powerful form of prayer because we're not asking God to do something, but we're using the spiritual authority we've allegedly been given to speak words, to make declarations that create reality. Much in the way Bill Johnson would say, that's much in the way God uh, created in Genesis through his spoken word. And so we can speak, make these prayer declarations for health, for finances, um, you know, uh, good marriages, all of these things and create this reality with our words. And, and so he would say when, you know, the Lord's prayer says like kingdom come, that will be done. You know, those, that's actually a declaration that the church is making for God's kingdom to come to earth. And so it's a very different way of looking at the Lord's prayer. And, um, so binding and loosing is the idea that we have the spiritual authority to bind the works of Satan. So like poverty, um, illness, those kind of things. And that we also have the authority to lose God's blessings, you know, healthy marriages, uh, finances, um, good health, you know, those kind of things. And so, so we bind in the way we bind and loose is by making prayer declarations. And it's really by making prayer declarations that the global church will bring God's kingdom, uh, ultimately to earth. Yeah, that's, uh, that's fascinating and upsetting and unsettling all, all at the same time i mean <laughs> it really is you know because i mean the lord's prayer means what it means i mean jesus is saying there before he gives the lord's prayer pray like this he's giving a clear instruction a clear pattern um as we know that 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 is there and it's it's plain as day it's not a it's not a parable it doesn't mean you know whatever it's not doesn't have a it has a clear point to it you know um so just just to pay attention to those kind of things you know like Holly was talking about people are gonna people are gonna give you the ammunition all all the ammunition that you could ever want out there it's it's just if you're paying attention and then you have to know your Bible you have to know the theology so that's why we need to be in our Bibles like you were saying so well earlier um so I think that's a good answer you know Holly one one thing I'm especially concerned with that people really understand is you know what what do we sh we've talked about this before I know you and I we've talked about it with Richard Moore and whatever but it's worth coming back to I think um what should we do about this what 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 can we do to really i mean only ultimately uh, ultimately we just like we said earlier we need to be faithful and trust the lord and you know the spirit carries the word and does all those things but what what can we do really to to help uh speak out about this this um thing whether whether you have a pot whether we have a podcast or 
you know, uh, there's a biblically qualified pastor listening to this, you know, so they have a pulpit. Take those two people away. What can the average person that doesn't have a pulpit, doesn't have a blog, doesn't have any of those things, what can they do? They just have a social media. Maybe they feel like they can't do enough, but but maybe speak to them and encourage them. Right. So one, well, the first thing that, that people can do is really become educated, more educated on, on what NAR teaches um, which verses they misuse often out of context in order to support their teachings and to, to study scripture and to go study those verses in context and see what's actually being taught. Um, and um, honestly, doing that and doing that, they, you know, they can actually really grow spiritually learning what, what are the real meanings of these passages, because people are missing out on that when they when you get a misinterpretation of a passage, you're you're actually losing the the rich. Uh, beautiful meaning that that actually is that passage, you, you know, that um, and what it actually teaches. And so go to scripture, study what it means, be prepared so that when they encounter people who hold to these teachings. So so most of your listeners probably know people, even if they don't realize it right now, they probably know people who are making prayer declarations. This is a very common practice um, for people who are influenced by NAR. Or they might know people who believe that it's always God's will to heal a sick person. Um, and that if you just have enough faith and, and, you know, and say the right words and engage in the right practices, you know, that person will be healed. And so, so learn what these teachings are, learn how scripture is being misused to support them and what the proper understanding of scripture is. And, and so they'll be prepared to talk to their friends and loved ones, um, whom they no doubt will encounter if they don't already know who those people are in their life. Um, that's um, really important. And also, of course, praying for, for our loved ones who we know who are caught up in this movement. That's huge because in many cases, people who are caught up in this movement don't want to hear any criticism of their beliefs because the NAR apostles and prophets will tell their followers, um, don't listen don't listen. It will hurt your faith. You know, don't listen to the critics. Um, Bill Johnson has told his followers in his book, When Heaven Invades Earth, he tells them, don't read books that are written by critics that are critical of these teachings. Um, and so um, it's, um, you know, you might not be able to talk to your loved one, sadly, or, or they may have cut you off, you know, just uh, like I mentioned, the adult children that just cut off their parents after getting, going to an our church and and so um, because these young people, what they think is like, wow, they have an enlightened form of Christianity and their parents just kind of have their old fashioned Christianity where they just go to their dry, dead, boring church and just read the Bible. But, you know, they're not um, they're not really doing the spiritual warfare and and doing the powerful prayer declarations and these kind of things. So they kind of they look down on their parents and and so um, or, or anyone else who who doesn't hold to our teachings. And so it's very important to pray that God will open their eyes and take the blinders off. Um, and, um, and just to be encouraged to know that many, many people have come out of this in our movement. Many people are currently coming out of this movement as, as the word gets out more, as there are more books and podcasts and, and, and people like ourselves and, and many others who are warning people about this movement. Uh, many people are coming out and that's been very encouraging to see because in order to um, um, count, resist a movement like NAR, you need a counter movement. It's going to take a movement to counter the NAR movement. And so it's been encouraging to see this movement forming um, 
And, and we need a lot of people, just lay people without podcasts, you know, the people who aren't able to write books or have podcasts out there, but they're interacting daily with loved ones and friends and people in their church are caught up in this movement. And, um, and many people have noticed, um, NAR kind of coming into their churches, maybe just in small degrees, maybe to a greater degree. Um, but to, to lovingly and gently, uh, speak up when they see that, uh, you know, express their concerns to their church leaders, um, help educate their church leaders about what NAR is because many pastors still haven't, don't know about NAR. Um, and, and kind of when they see these NAR encroachments coming into their church to, um, to just, um, wisely, you know, um, address those, those things, um, is another really important step because NAR is taking over churches, um, all the time. And so, but a lot of people have stepped up and they've spoken up and addressed their concerns and the pastors and other leaders are like, you know, you're right. We got to be careful here. This is, is dangerous stuff when they look into it, you know? And so they've been able to stop their church from, from being taken over by NAR. Yeah. Just as one suggestion, that's a good answer. Just as one suggestion, even, even just field, have a time. Not just to cover, you know, the new apostolic reformation and what questions people have, but even even have it as a leadership, just get together as an elder board and just decide you're going to have this event and you're going to talk with people about what to look for in this movement in the various signs and whatever, like we've talked about today and in other episodes as well. And then, you know, as well as the music, uh, pay pay attention, be discerning. Um, and and do this kind of thing and, and equip the people. I mean, I can't think of anything that'd be more beneficial for pastors and elders, biblically qualified men, to do uh, to really help their help their people. Um, and that and that could be applied to a number of other topics as well, of course. But since we're talking about this, and you know, I know of churches that are actively doing that, and people understand and they know what to look for, and so they're. They're able to help other people as they go out into the community. This is this is the work of ministry, you know, to what pastors are to do to equip the saints. So I think. Yeah. That- and what, another thing that some churches have done is um, they've adopted position papers. Um, and we actually, Doug and I put together a position paper. If people contact us, we'll send them a template. But they've adopted, uh, church leaders have decided to adopt position papers saying what their stance on NAR is, that they're against it as a church and here's why and it gives all the biblical argumentation and um and even to develop positions on whether you know the church will use music like bethel music or music from nar heavily nar influenced churches and and make these kind of decisions you know that we won't use any curriculum that comes from nar churches or organizations and bible studies or you know small group studies or that kind of thing um so churches can take an active stance you know, against NAR. And I will say, um, you know, my own church has adopted such a position paper. And I've heard from many people that that one reason they were drawn to our church was when they read that position paper. It encouraged them to see that this is a church that um, does not, um, you know, does not tolerate NAR. Um, and so when churches adopt these type of position papers, not just about NAR, but other, you know, other positions as well, um, then, um, it, it's, there are a lot of people reading these papers and evaluating whether they want to attend a church or not based on 
church's position papers. And so it's, um, it's important for churches to do that. Amen. Amen. Well, Holly, where can people go to find out more about you on social media or otherwise? Yes. So, well, I'm, I'm active on Facebook and Instagram and on X, uh, formerly Twitter. I keep calling it Twitter, but <laughs> my husband, me, me too, me too. It's an X. <laughs> um, it's X. Get it right. Get yeah, it right. everybody. <laughs> but um, also I blog at hollypivot.com and um, Doug and I both uh, write articles there where we, we keep current with, um, you know, recent developments in NAR. Um, and so we encourage people to go there and they can sign up to receive, um, you know, my updates there. That's really good. Well, you know, there's always so much to talk about and we had so many other questions guys that we didn't even, we didn't even get to with, with Holly, uh, cause our time has run out, but just Holly, as we wrap up, um, can you give us a few takeaways? Yeah. So, you know, the title of our book, our latest book, Reckless Christianity, the reason we title that is because Bethel advocates a reckless approach to Christianity that, and they actually see the word reckless as a positive word, um, like the song reckless love, but, but they, they, they think that, you know, as Christians, we should be reckless that we should, Bill Johnson will say that he wants his church to um, be a church of experimentations, virtual experimentation, where they experiment through trial and error and, and find out what works and or as they seek to learn to work miracles and engage in the miraculous and things like that. And so Bethel and other NAR churches view recklessness as a virtue. Um, but that's not, you know, that's maybe the Bethel way, but that's not God's way, you know, in scripture, uh, you know, we are urged to use caution um, and um, to evaluate all teachings by scripture, to test all things. Um, you know, we see th uh, this in the stern words God gave to the prophet Jeremiah for the false prophets of his day when they prophesied recklessly. He said, behold, I'm against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, and who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness when I did not send them or charge them. So they do not profit this people at all, declares the Lord. That's Jeremiah 23, 32. Uh, Jesus warned about false prophets who will work miracles, right? Um, and so, or they will appear to work miracles at least. So he puts us on notice to be appropriately critical. That's in Matthew uh, 7, 15 and Matthew 24, 24. Um, we're admonished to exercise caution in our acceptance of any new teachings and practices. I already mentioned, you know, the, the example of the brands in Acts 17, 11, um, and so, um, you know, in the conclusion of our book, Reckless Christianity, we talk about really what we advocate is a careful Christianity, not a reckless approach to Christianity, but a careful Christianity where we are careful, um, to evaluate all teachings, all practices by scripture, um, to hold up apostles, any so-called apostles or prophets to the standards of scripture, um, because it's crucial. This isn't, you know, this, this, we're not dealing with um, just kind of minor theological differences or things that don't really matter. Um, really, um, people's spiritual lives are at stake. Um, you know, their mental health is at stake. <laughs> there, there's so much at stake um, with, with, uh, you know, when it comes to this NAR movement and the reckless teachings and practices and just the wake of destruction that they've left behind in so many lives and churches. So, so that would be my final, you know, my final um, caution. 
a good caution, an important caution, and I hope people will really heed it. And uh, so that's that's really good, Holly. Uh, guys, we've been talking today with uh, Holly Pivik. Uh, she's the author with Doug Guyvet of Reckless Christianity, The Destructive New Teachings and Practices of Bill Johnson, Bethel Church, and the Global Movement of Apostles and Prophets. Here again is the book, so you can take a look at it one more time. I just want to encourage you guys to pick up the book. You know, authors authors write books. Um, I'm an author now three times, uh, here soon four. And uh, we write books because we spend the time researching and we spend the time uh, going on interviews, uh, doing these things, you know, really not just to sell books, but to help people. And uh, Holly and Doug are, have that same desire and motivation. So uh, just please go pick up the book to support a fellow fellow author, a fellow sister and brother who are being faithful. The Lord is using them all over the world, guys, in, in a really powerful way to expose this movement. Um, and so we're really, truly thankful for you, Holly, and for Doug and uh, for the many ways in which, you know, you give honor and glory to God by using the gifts and talents and abilities that the Lord's given you. So thank you again for coming on the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me on, Dave. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.